when people say, well, that won't solve anything. Nothing solves everything. Strong systems, well-designed policies, working together save lives. And that's what I'm really focused on. And microstamping is one part of that. Take a moment to consider all the factors that impact your health. What comes to mind? Your diet, perhaps your lifestyle, like whether you exercise, drink, or smoke. Maybe you thought about your family history of diseases like cancer or diabetes. But health and well-being go beyond that. The field of public health is about thinking broader, thinking beyond the individual, about how our built environment affects us, how laws and policies impact us, and how the social forces influence our behavior and well-being. Each week, this podcast will discuss one topic from the wonderful world of public health to reveal these ubiquitous hidden forces and artifacts. One episode at a time, we will show how public health is all around us. Welcome to Everything is Public Health. Everything is Public Health. Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm Cass. I'm MJ. All right, MJ, when I say innovative technology and guns, what comes to mind for you? Fingerprint guns that only activate when it's your finger on the trigger. Oh, yeah. So like a, there was a James Bond movie where they had a personalized firearm where yes. the, he picked it up and he couldn't fire it because either the bad guy couldn't fire it because it belonged to James Bond or vice versa, right? Right. But that's what a lot of people think of, right? James Bond, John Wick. Mm, love those. You know, sort of cool, fancy guns that do awesome stuff. Like that's generally what people think of when they think of innovative technology and guns. But there are other kinds of technological advances that can actually help us solve crimes. Interesting. So I think we talked about this in a prior episode, maybe the gun violence episode, but do you recall what percent of homicide cases nationally are solved? So, you know, fortunately for me, I recently heard a podcast sort of about this topic, but a surprisingly low percentage is what I, that seems to be the trend. Like most homicide cases are not solved. And a lot of cases that are solved are what they call no-brainer cases, where it's like, yeah, everybody saw him shoot this person, right? It's it's a no-brainer case. But if you take out those no-brainer cases, most homicide cases are just not solved. Right. So nationally, right now, the average is around 60-ish percent, but there's a lot of variation. So there are places where the homicide case closure rate might be 40%. And when you think about non-fatal shootings where someone is shot by a gun but survives, those case closure rates can be like 10 or 15%. So we get a false perception from TV that cases are closed all the time. And also I'll say there's a lot of variation in what kinds of cases are closed. So domestic violence, Related homicide cases tend to be easier to solve than homicides that occur in urban areas. And you said something that really struck me. You know, everybody saw him do it. And so, you know, it's a no brainer. But in some places where there's bad relationships between police and community, lots of people could have seen it happen, but they're not going to go snitch to the police, right? And so without video evidence, without ballistic data, forensic evidence, it can be hard to close these cases. Right. But the key thing about guns used in crime that I think people don't necessarily know about is unless you recover the gun that was used, it's very, very hard to find out where the gun came from, who bought it, who sold it, you know, originally. And it can make it really challenging for law enforcement to create leads and help them solve cases. A lot of people probably know that when you sell a gun, it has a serial number on it. It's like an alphanumeric code. It's etched into the lower receiver, and you can trace it back to the original retail seller, who then can provide more information 
on who bought it, etc. But if all you have are the discharged bullets or the shell casings, you have very little information on the gun itself. Right, because bullets, like there's no gun specific bullet. Well, there is, I guess, but there's no, it's not like, oh, this type of gun will always fire this bullet from this manufacturer. Like you buy a bullet and it could go into any gun theoretically. Right, and there are different kinds of guns that can fire the same ammunition. So you could have- Right, that's what I mean. A 22 caliber rifle, you could have a 22 caliber handgun, nine millimeter, et cetera. And so just because you recover a casing- or a bullet, a discharged round doesn't mean that you automatically know, as opposed to like a shotgun, right? Shotguns use shells. That's a pretty good giveaway. But yeah, like contrary to what you might see on TV shows, and I think this is one of the issues that I think this episode will highlight, is like, you know, CSI and NCIS and all those TV shows, they grossly exaggerate and overestimate forensic science's ability, especially ballistics. I mean, I think people don't want to watch TV shows where people spend time and energy <laughs> trying true. to solve a case and then, oh, whoops, no, no leads. I guess this is yet another unsolved case, right? Like that's that's not compelling TV that people are going to spend their time watching. True, true, true. But there is a technology that exists that can bring case closure and solving gun crimes into the 21st century and make it more innovative. And it's called microstamping. Small stamps. Tiny stamps. <laughs> Tiny yes. stamps, yeah. And today we're super lucky to learn more about microstamping from Josh Horowitz. He's a national expert on microstamping, and he's also an adjunct faculty member at Hopkins. So I'll let him introduce himself. Hi, I'm Josh Horowitz. I'm the executive director of the Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence. First off, for folks who probably don't know what microstamping is, which if you're which not most of us. <laughs> in this field, it's probably not something that's come across your radar. Let's have Josh explain exactly what microstamping is and how it works. Microstamping is a technology that allows a firearm to mark a cartridge case with an exact series of alphanumeric markers by etching alphanumeric numbers in the firing pin of a firearm. When the gun is fired, the firing pin hits a cartridge case. Those engraved numbers create a code like a license plate on the back of that cartridge. So when I say the cartridge case, I'm referring to the brass that makes up the back of a cartridge case and is often expended from a semi-automatic pistol when it's fired. And how does this technology fit in with the current context of ballistics? The problem is, at most crime scenes, what we recover are cartridge cases and not guns. Guns have serial numbers. The way we trace guns is through serial numbers. But the cartridge case that the gun fires does not have the serial number. What it does have is markings that are caused by the internal parts of the gun in an unintentional and somewhat random fashion. So what we do now when we find cartridge casings is we compare those random markings, which, you know, maybe looks like a moonscape. There's some little divots, there's some scrapes, but there's nothing that gives you an easy way to identify them. And so what you do now is you compare the striations, the lines, the unintentional markings, and try to compare them to each other. And maybe you get a match. It's a very, very old technology. What we're just saying is instead of looking at those unintentional markings and dings and divots, make it intentional. Take the same forces that create those unintentional markings and create a license plate at the back of a cartridge case. So essentially, 
every time the gun fires, it stamps like a mini license plate onto the cartridge, right? Right. Well, I mean, that's fantastic because the license plate analogy works really well, right? It's kind of like a car. If you see this number associated with this bullet, you know it has to come from this firing pin. Right. And we see cars all the time, right? It's a nice way to connect microstamping with something that is far more familiar to people. Yeah. If you see this license, we can be pretty confident that it is this car. Right. And I think taking that analogy one step further, when law enforcement makes a traffic stop, they can type the license plate into a system. They see who owns the car, who's supposed to be driving the car. And so it gives them some information that then they can look up the person and see, oh, is this, you know, somebody that I need to be concerned about? You know, they have a warrant or something like that. That's such a cool idea. Like, if you find a normal bullet on the ground, it's just a bullet. It's just a casing. But if you have micro snapping, you can immediately say, oh, yeah, this is I could run this number in the database. Oh, OK, that's amazing. Cool. So like you, MJ, most folks probably haven't heard about micro stamping before. No, but it's actually been around for a while. So I'll let Josh explain more. It's been in the works for almost three decades at this point. And it was invented by a company whose goal was originally just to use uh, the firing pin to put their corporate logo on the back of a cartridge and take a photo of it. They thought it'd be kind of cool. Almost like a party trick. Like, is this something that we can do? And then people were like, oh, this actually might be something that's valuable. The technology is commercially available, but not being used by the gun manufacturers. And that's the root of the problem. And so you might think, oh, this must be really expensive. Right. Like they did this one thing for the logo and then no one's ever done it because like it must be so burdensome. But it's actually not the case. Oh, really? The cost is is a couple dollars a gun, maybe at max $10. And the resistance is that manufacturers have traditionally looked askance at any safety regulation. Gun manufacturers are happy to innovate for lethality, but are very much against innovating for safety. And that's the culture of gun manufacturers, but it's also the culture of the gun lobby that tries to punish any manufacturer who makes consumer safety improvements. I'm really taken aback at the comment about the culture of the gun industry. Like they're willing to innovate, but not for safety, but more for lethality, which I don't know. Like to me, innovating for safety is an important part of like product design because you're telling the consumer, hey, this is a safe product. This is not going to harm you in any way. But I guess it just doesn't apply when it comes to the gun industry. Well, and some gun designs have been around for 100 years at least, if not longer. And they really haven't changed, even though we know that there are different strategies that people could put onto guns, like integrated safety lock or some different technologies with the trigger to make them harder to pull for kids, for example. But those have been really slow to be implemented, if at all, because really the focus has been, ooh, let's make it easier for you to shoot things rather than thinking about reducing potential harms. Right. That's a very interesting aspect. As listeners of the podcast know, the goal of our show is to introduce folks to all the different facets of public health. So we wanted to be sure to have Josh describe how something like microstamping can help reduce violence, which is a public health issue in the U.S. Sure. A lot of gun violence has to do with gun availability. And gun availability has to do often with illegal or illicit trafficking channels. Identifying who the suppliers are, how guns go from a legal dealer to the illegal market. What do those look like? Who are the people selling guns out of the back of their cars and where are they getting those guns? 
That's where microsampling can improve. We can identify the source of those trafficking networks, which is going to be very important if we want to eliminate them. You have to understand that. These are all important investigative clues in two worlds, solving crime and identifying illegal gun trafficking channels or gun theft rings. The second piece is that we have an absolute crisis right now in unsolved shooting. The closed clearance rate for homicide is well below 50% in many cities. And the clearance rate for lethal but not deadly shootings is dismal, you know, like 20% in some places. That has to do with a lot of things. It has to do with also a lack of trust in law enforcement because of police violence. But I think many people agree that when you have unsolved shootings, you have cycles of retaliatory violence. You create general senses of danger and people go out and buy more firearms. There's a lot of value, including bringing justice to the families of those who were killed, to increasing the rate of solved murder and solved shooting cases. Microstamping can help with that. What I like is it can build trust between law enforcement and the community. It can help identify where guns are coming from. Often in communities most ravaged by violence, we see guns coming in from other locations. Where are those locations? Who's bringing them in? What are the source starting points? I think are something that microstamping can do. A key piece of public health is using data to understand and how to respond to a problem. So when we think about a problem in public health, one of the first things that we want to do is understanding the problem. And I think this goes back to my previous point with CSI and NCIS, like TV and movies have made it seem like uh, our forensic and law enforcement are these like godlike omni- uh, omniscient, is that is that omnipotent, omnipotent force that always know what to do and can solve crimes like all of the time. But a lot of these forensic things are not always that reliable. And a lot of them are actually antiquated. And most, like we mentioned before, most homicides and non-fatal shootings go unsolved. It's not most, right? So a lot, for example, several forensic tools have already been debunked. There are a lot of these things that you might see in CSI like 10 years ago, where it's like, we matched a bite mark. This incisor looks like it's the bite mark from this serial killer, but we have debunked bite marks for quite a while now. And other things like fabrics, you know, soil samples and stuff like that. Sneaker marks. Sneaker marks, stuff like that. There's some logic behind it, but it's definitely nowhere near the 100% match that TV and movies sometimes makes it out to be. Yeah, Josh talks about the art of firearm ballistics, that it's more art than science. And so... So one question we had for him was how open to interpretation, like other forensics, is microstamping? Right. So similar to like bite marks and sneaker prints, right? So is it something that's like, we kind of know what's going on, but or is it something that's more objective? Yeah, I think is it, you know, how clear cut is it for the inter-rate reliability we might refer to it as? Ballistics is like some of these other analysis where the science is not particularly strong behind it. And it's been criticized repeatedly in numerous reports that it's it's a technology or technique that is not supported by strong evidence. People go to jail because of this. Right now, as we sit today, the DC crime lab is closed down because ballistic examiners were faking evidence. And it's easy to do that because if you're trying to compare these marks and dings, as I've described, you know, it's just, there's so very few people who can really do that. Contrast it to what I'm saying. Put a clear group of numbers or geometric shapes or letters on the back of a cartridge, just like a license plate, to give you a clear 
set of what gun fired that. And then we don't have to worry about all this matching. And one of the things about microstamping that I like is it's very objective. It is six or eight characters on the back of a cartridge and not susceptible to making those numbers something that they're not. There is a crisis in ballistic identification right now, and microstamping solves that crisis. So there's been pushback from the industry on microstamping. Josh had mentioned this previously. A lot of innovation to increase lethality, but not so much to improve safety. So I'm going to turn back to Josh for him to explain different strategies to help encourage the adoption of microstamping. Well, there's a couple of approaches that we're taking. One is we want to see the technology out there. We believe that once the technology is out there, once people see it in common use, that will be widely adopted. So one of the things I think we could do is to incentivize law enforcement to actually start buying microstamp firearms by creating grants, which I think would be a, you know, sort of grant programs, like here's some resources to purchase microstamp weapons. Let's get them out there. That's an approach we're trying in California right now. The other approach is to mandate that new firearms are made with microstamp firing events. And that's something that we've been working on for a while and uh, are working in several states to do that. The only state now that has a requirement is California. California is interesting. Originally, their law said that for new models of weapons sold in California have to be sold with microstamp enabled firing pins. There's also some other safety devices that are required as well. And what's happened in California is that the manufacturers have not put a new model. They sold new guns, new guns of old models for the last 10 years in California. So essentially, they've been selling 2017 Honda Civics. 2009 Honda Civics. 2009 Honda Civics? Wow. But the thing is, they're still manufacturing them, right? So it's like right. the same, same equipment you get on a 2009 Honda Civic. They're just selling it today. And that's the length they'll go to avoid this. But as other states go forward, we're really encouraging them to say, after a certain date, let's just say 2025, all new, newly sold firearms have to have a microstamp firing pit. So one of the questions I had is, I mean, we see on CSI and stuff that there's bad guys and they're desperately trying to scrub the serial number off of a gun, right? So how tamper-proof is this technology? So first off, it's actually really, really hard to obliterate a serial number. That's what I assume. Like, even right. if it looks like it's obliterated because it's etched in, it's actually pretty hard. Mm -hmm. But Josh has some great info on tampering with a microstamp. So it's on the firing pin. And firing pins, depending on, on the gun, can both be expensive and hard to remove. Within the firing pin, there are what we call anti-tampering measures, so that if you try to file it down, you'll do one of two things. You will either be unsuccessful or you make the gun inoperable. The other thing to remember is that today, we really extract very little ballistic information from firearms. We do make matches, but it doesn't happen on every case and, and doesn't happen with regularity. What we're trying to do is increase the pool of available data. It's not that we're out and this is going to solve every gun crime. That's not what we're trying to do, although that would be great. What we're trying to do is increase the data from a low yield technology to a high yield technology. And, you know, there's an opportunity now to switch firing pins or try to sand them down or whatever. What we are saying is make that harder, make this technology more reliable. Let's take a step forward. Yes, there can always be more anti-tampering or the technology evolves over time, but let's get more information today and let's identify trafficking channels and let's try to solve, to reduce the you know, unsolved murder rate, which is just 
unacceptably high and create so much pain and retaliation in communities. So we've talked about, and Josh has talked about, how microstamping can be an effective strategy to improve case closure rates. So give law enforcement more effective leads that they can follow to try to find people who are causing violence. And this can lead to improvements in community safety. It can increase community safety by holding accountable those who are committing violence. And it can also prevent retaliation because if law enforcement and the criminal justice system can effectively identify and arrest people who are shooting people, there may be less likely that folks would retaliate. But the question is, why? Why do manufacturers hold out against this? It's not It's not really impacting their bottom line, right? We heard that it's not really expensive. It seems like this would be something the industry would say, we already have serial numbers on the gun, but if you don't recover the gun, that's not useful information. So let us provide you with another piece of data. But like, why aren't they doing that? Yeah. I mean, it ties back to how like lowering crime should be something that everyone should be on board with. Like there's no harm in lowering crime, right? Lowering crime can only be a good thing. Right. And putting a micro stamp on a firing pin in no way infringes upon a law-abiding citizen's right to own a gun. You still own a gun. If you use it lawfully, no concern. Yeah. If you use it to commit a crime, then it's going to be a lot easier for law enforcement to find you and hold you accountable, which is what we want if people are committing crimes, right? Like that's because if you're committing crimes, you're no longer a law-abiding gun owner whose rights are going to be infringed by something. Yeah. And any technology that can help us reduce crime or help us uh, prevent crimes, why are they holding out on this? My experience with this particular industry, though, is that they have to be forced into doing these types of things. And I wish it wasn't so. I wish that at least some parts of that industry would step up and say, we want to do this. But the experience, and you can go back to Smith & Wesson, all the way back to the Clinton administration, when they said, look, we want to work with the administration and try to make our farms distribution process safer. They were punished by the gun lobby and consumers for playing ball with the Clinton administration. So that's a problem. And what's interesting about this industry is when the NRA calls for a boycott on a a movie industry for supporting gun violence prevention, that never works because the general public doesn't care what the industry says. But within their own industry, if someone steps out of line, they actually have a lot of market control. People often think that the gun industry controls the gun lobby, but it's really the other way around. The gun lobby controls the industry. It's a bad setup, but again, it goes back to this thing that we see lots of innovation for lethality, smaller, more deadly, you know, higher caliber, all that kind of stuff. But what we don't see on any regular basis is making firearms safer for consumers and technology more helpful for law enforcement. It always strikes me that the gun lobby usually is promoting sort of a tough on crime approach. Yeah, that's the whole shtick. They generally are in support of law enforcement. And for them to then say, well, we're not going to put forward this technology, even though it's it's not very costly, it's exceptionally effective, and it could help case closure rates for law enforcement for no reason other than that's just not the way they do things is really frustrating. Yeah. And I think this whole thing about them supporting law enforcement and them supporting reducing crime and stuff, I don't think they're really focused on the technical aspect of how supporting law enforcement and crime reduction means. I think they're just focusing on how do we arm our officers so that they can, quote unquote, do their jobs better, right? It's frustrating for me as a gun owner, every time I see guns being used in crime or being used in in shootings or these other events because 
the first thing I think of is, wow, this is another person with a gun doing something stupid or doing something unlawful. And it just makes it harder for people to understand why people own guns in the US. It just sort of right. further pushes people to think, why don't we take the approach that other countries take and just significantly restrict gun ownership? And in my mind, if we could do a better job of holding accountable, finding the people who are selling guns that are used in crime, finding the people who are using the guns in crime and holding those people accountable, it's going to be better for everyone Yeah, because then there are going to be less guns being used in crime less sort of poor reflections on gun owners in general in this country. Yeah. And again, it goes back to the, if you can reduce crime, then why, why aren't we doing it? But yeah. it's important to understand that like many public health issues, micro-stamping is interrelated with other policies for, in this case, firearm policies. And when we talk about gun violence in America as an issue, we want to approach it from many different perspectives. We want to approach from many different directions because that's kind of the spirit of public health. No one thing is going to solve all gun violence, right? We really need to make sure we're coming at this from a multi-pronged approach, just like we would with any other public health problem. And one of the approach is micro-stamping, and that can really help us reduce crimes, hold people accountable, and just give us more data to work with instead of not being able to track where these firearms are, where these firearms are going. And this is just one piece of the puzzle. So we asked Josh to share his thought on where micro-stamping falls in a holistic approach to preventing gun violence. Micro-stamping is a powerful technology, but it's amplified if it's used within a system that where we have reasonable regulation, where we have things like firearms licensing, where we have background checks, where we have, have things like extremist protection orders and domestic violence protection orders. Microstamping is a great technology, but we don't solve gun violence through one technology. We solve gun violence through overlapping and redundancies. And like anything else, you build a system to regulate firearms to make sure firearms don't get into the hands of people who will use them poorly, to make sure guns aren't trafficked. And then if that is the case, to identify where those firearms are coming from. And really, you know, it's not about punishing any one individual. It's creating a system that makes it harder to get firearms, especially when people are a danger to self or others. And right now, it's just way too easy in a moment of wanting to hurt somebody or even wanting to hurt yourself, it's way too easy to get a firearm. And we need to do a much better job of creating just better structures and better systems to prevent firearm violence. And we can do it. Other countries have done it. Actually, a number of states have done it. Microstamping is one piece in a larger puzzle. You know, when people say, well, that won't solve anything, nothing solves everything. Strong systems, well designed policies working together to save lives. And that's what I'm really focused on. And microstamping is one part of that. As always with this podcast, we try to end with a focus on solutions. So we asked Josh to reflect on some things that our listeners can do to help address this issue. Number one, go to our website, EFSGV, uh, or just type in Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence and read the materials we have on microstamping. Because I think here, education, knowledge is power. The gun manufacturers say, this is futuristic. Oh, these marks are created by lasers. Well, you know, lasers are common industrial applications now for so many products. So understand that this is a simple evolution of technology uh, for the 21st century. And then talk to your legislators about it. Talk to your law enforcement about it. Join us in helping getting this done. But as long as people don't know anything about ballistics and this whole thing sounds like a mystery, you know, maybe you won't demand it. But we need people demanding this. 
And for our law enforcement listeners out there, learn about this and see how it can enhance you know, making communities safer. And finally, for manufacturers, come to the table. We want to work with people who want to identify where traffic guns are coming from, to identify stolen guns, to help solve and close shootings. Those are really important things. My recommendation is this technology is ready. It's commercialized. And let's get it going. And if you need a couple of years to sort of set it up and implement it, that's fine. But the time to do this is way past it. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more and more people can learn about all the awesomeness that is public health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at EverythingIsPH or Instagram at EverythingIsPublicHealth. Send us questions or comments to EverythingIsPublicHealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Krifasi. Please also give us a rating and a review on wherever, you t- on wherever you listen to your podcast. It does help us immensely. Don't forget to like, share, and comment as well. If you want to support the podcast directly, we have a Patreon page, and you can find the link for that in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.